Father in heaven, Lord, all of us here this morning have sinned against you and against heaven. And Lord, we are not worthy to be called your daughters or your sons. But Father, your son will forever be worthy to be called our saviour. And so we ask that it is he and not me that speaks to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Let me ask you a question. If you wanted to know how to preach, who would you choose as your prime example? Christ, of course. Some of you said Mark Finley. Christ was the right answer. And if you wanted to know where to go in the Bible to read about Christ preaching, where would you go? Maybe Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon of the Mount. If you wanted to know then how to teach, who would be your prime example? All right, some of you, I think I heard Eugene Pruitt. No, we would look at, we would look at Christ again, right? And where would we go? Where's a good example of Christ's teachings? Again, Matthew, one of my favorite ones is Matthew chapter 13. So many different parables, so many different lessons that Christ is trying to teach, none of which the disciples understood, of course. Um, and if we wanted to look at healing, again, we would look at Christ as our example and many instances through the book of Matthew. But what about prayer? If we wanted to know about prayer, who would we look at as our example? Jesus. Jesus. And where would we go? To the book of Matthew, perhaps Matthew chapter 6. Now, the disciples come to Christ and they want to know how to pray. Now, do you think the disciples have been praying prior to this? Absolutely. But they're seeing something in Christ's life, in it, specifically in his prayer life, that's different to theirs that they want to emulate. And so they come to him and they say, teach us how to pray. Now, how Christ starts this teaching really gripped me. Because when he starts, he says this, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now the disciples, they, they have an idea of how to pray, right? But here, here when, when, when they come to Jesus and say, so, so what do we do to pray? How do we do it? Jesus says, you want to know how? This is how. Are you ready? Our Father. Our Father. You would expect that the first words that come out of his mouth are the most important. Would you agree? This is the focus. This is the topic. This is where he's trying to direct their minds to. Notice this. He doesn't mention form. Are you with me? He doesn't say, oh, you want to know how to pray? Let me tell you, Peter. Come, come. Uh, get down on your knees. Maybe lie prostrate on the floor. You know, lift your hands up to the heavens. Say specific words. Pray in the King James Version. He didn't say that, right? He said, you want to know how to pray? Let me teach you how to pray. Our Father. The most important thing about prayer, according to Christ, is not what we say, but who we're speaking to. Psalm chapter 103 verse 13 says this, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. What's the psalmist trying to tell us about the Father? That He's loving. That He loves His children. Anyone here a parent? I know many of you intend to be one. I also intend to be one in the distant future. Amen? <laughs> she caught it. She caught it. But how many of you here are currently parents? Let me see your hands nice and high. Okay. I want you to imagine this situation as a parent. And you know, if you don't have a child yet, and you're not married, praise the Lord. And um, 
Just, but just imagine a future scenario where you might have children. Now I want you to imagine that you have a son. The Lord has blessed you with one son, right? That's all you have. You have one son, and you know, you're, growing up, you're, you're, you're helping your son grow, and he's growing up in the fear of the Lord, and he's a good child. And then he gets to the age of 16. And he gets to the age of 16, and 16 is generally, especially with men, or boys, when we say, okay, I'm an adult now. And let's say at 16 years old, he decides to leave home. Anyone ever done that? Anyone ever ran away from home? All good Adventists in the building, amen. Well, I ran away from home once. I remember my mom told me that if I didn't stop misbehaving, she was going to kick me out, so I said, you won't have to, and I left. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to punish her for the amount of time she tells me that she's going to kick me out. And so I went outside my house, and there was this big tree. I went inside the tree, and I was like, I'm going to stay in here for a whole hour. And I could hear her coming out, and she was like, Dean, Dean, where are you? Where are you? And I'm in the tree, and I'm just like, mm-mm. <laughs> I'm not going to answer. You wanted to kick me out? I'm gone. And I'm outside. And I stayed in the tree, and lo and behold, I fell asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep, and I stayed there for the whole night. And my mom was going crazy, and I woke up in the morning, and I was, I was like, oh, my days. I'm a very light sleeper, so to fall asleep outside, not in the summer, like that matters in the UK. And you just, I, I wake up, and I'm like, whoa, I've been out here for the whole night. I need to go home. And I go home, and my mom's reaction was telling. I didn't get uh, disciplined physically, as I was expecting. But her reaction is something that I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine this. You've got a son, 16 years old. He runs away from home. You don't hear from him for a whole day. How long? A whole day. Parents, do you miss your son? You guys don't sound convinced. You don't have good children? <laughs> do you miss your son, yes or no? Yes. Don't be afraid to say yes. It's good to miss. It's good to feel emotion. Yes, we miss our son. What about a whole week? No contact. Nothing. A whole week goes by. Do you miss your son, yes or no? Yes. Do you miss him more or less than the first day? How many of you say less? All right. What about a month? Okay, a year. A year goes by and you haven't heard a thing. There's been no phone calls. There's been no text messages. When you call him, it doesn't even ring. You can't stalk him on Facebook. He's not putting any you know, cryptic Instagram posts on where he is and trying to give you little tidbits about his location. Nothing, nada. Do you still miss him? But it's been a year. A year's a long time. You still miss him? Okay. 16 years. 16 years goes by. Mathematicians, how old is he? All right, he's 32, yes. He's 32 years old. Do you still remember his name? Do you still remember his name? Do you normally remember people's names when you haven't seen them in 16 years? See, I struggle like 16 hours later. I'm like, your name again? But 16 years go by, do you remember his name? Do you remember his face? Do you remember his smell? Favorite foods, hobbies, places he likes to go, friends' names, old phone number, email address. You remember all these things because you're invested, right? 16 years goes by. Who knows what age you are now? And then you're sitting at home one evening and you hear a knock. And you know those knocks that you just know? Everyone, like, everyone's family has their secret knocks. You know, you knock on the door in a specific way, and you can just, that, that permits you to come in. No one has to say, come in, because everyone knows the secret knock, right? You guys didn't have a secret knock? Okay. And then, so you have the secret knock, and so I, I want you to imagine that you hear that knock, and you know that knock. How are you going to feel? 
What's your heart going to be doing? All of these things, all of these thoughts are going to be racing through your mind. I'm like, no, no, maybe, maybe I just heard that because sometimes you hear that you miss him so much and then you hear the exact same knock again. And you know who is on the other side of that door. So you get up, approach the door, your hand is trembling, you're panting slightly, a little bit of sweat drops onto the brow, and you open the door. It's dark outside, it's raining hard, and you see him right there. He's right there before, he's actually there, except he's overweight, grossly overweight. And he hasn't had a haircut in what seems like years. His beard has grown all thick and it's unkept. His clothes don't seem to fit. They're ripped. He's wearing flip-flops and it's pouring rain outside. And he stinks. And I'll ask you a question. Parents, future parents. What does he have to say for you to let him in? Come on, tell me. What does he have to say? Nothing. He's been gone for 16 whole years. He hasn't said a word. There's been no contact. But the moment that he comes back, he doesn't have to say a word to be welcomed back into the house. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. You see, sometimes we don't pray. Sometimes we don't come to God because we've been away for so long. We think to ourselves, well, you know, I haven't prayed in a week. I haven't prayed in, in, in a month. And, you know, how do I come back now? It's been so long. It's been so long since our relationship was real. And all this time, all this time, he's just sitting down waiting for that knock. He's just sitting down waiting for his son, for his daughter to be at the other side of that door. When we don't pray, when we don't speak, when we don't communicate with God, it's not that he's angry, it's that he's lonely. Because there's a, a hole in his heart. We often speak about the hole in our heart that only God can fill. But there's a hole in his heart that only you and I as individuals can fill. And when we go time without speaking to our Creator, He misses us. And I want to make this point. This is going to be the recurring point right throughout this message. True prayer understands that it's not our words. What did I say? It's not our words that reconcile us to God. It's His love. When we come to God and when we pray, the things that we say are not what's causing God to bring us back. That's not how it works. Christ has already done that for us. He's already stepped in that gap. He is the one that causes the Father to bring us back, not our words. And this is one of the reasons why I believe Christ bypasses form when he starts to teach about prayer. Because let's be honest, guys. The reason that we don't pray is not because of the forms. Are you with me? We don't say, oh, you know, I'm not going to pray tonight because I can't be bothered to get on my knees. Okay, maybe some of us say that. But we don't not pray because we don't want to clasp our hands together or because we don't want to close our eyes. Those aren't the reasons why we don't pray. We don't pray because we forget who we're praying to. We don't pray because just like Adam in the Garden of Eden after sin, we've allowed our lives and our choices to warp our view of God. That's why we don't pray. 
First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Go in your Bibles. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I hope you've got a way of taking notes of these scriptures, because if you're anything like me, you're not going to remember them. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says this. For Christ, for who? For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. So let me ask you a question. When did Jesus die for you and I? Was it when we were righteous or when we were sinners? Are you sure? When did Christ die for us? When it was when we were always reading our Bible or when we just neglected it? All right, when we were neglecting Him. When did Christ die for us? When we were constantly praying, when our prayers would never cease, and when we decided that we had better things to do than waste our time speaking to someone that we cannot see. Christ died for us when we were unrighteous, not when we were righteous. So watch what this verse says. It says, Christ has suffered once for our sins, the just. Who's the just? Us? Christ. The just for who? For the unjust, that He might bring us to God. When we were not praying, when we were not studying, when we were not attending church, when we were not encouraging each other and studying the Word, it was in those moments that Christ was doing all that He could to bring us back to God. And who was it then according to this verse that sent Christ to die? You know John 3.16, he didn't say that Christ sent Himself. That God the Father loved the world so much that He sent His Son. So it's when we weren't praying, when we weren't studying, that the Father had already set the plans in motion to have us come back and pray to Him. And you know what we've said in our prayer so far? Nothing. We're just coming to the Father. We haven't said a word yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.19, you'll know the text. 2 Corinthians 5.19, to wit... That God was in who? Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Question, when Jesus was preaching, who was He preaching for? Who was His audience? Who was He trying to reach? Us, right? When He was teaching and when He was healing, who was He doing those things for? For us. But according to this verse, who was in Him doing those things? The Father, it says, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world back to Himself. Catch this. In every false system of worship, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, whatever ism you want to call it, it is always down to the sinner to bring the sinner back to God. Are you with me? Every other religion there is. The sinner, the subject, has to be the one that works his way back into the good books of his sovereign. But this, this guy, this is why, for me, there can only be Christianity. There can only be this message. Because it's not about what I'm doing to get myself back to him. He's chasing. Did you see? It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. It's the complete opposite of every other false system of worship. It's God who's chasing us as if He done something wrong. Huh. Well, 
All we like sheep, Isaiah 53 verse 6, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Some of these verses are so paradoxical that they almost don't make sense. This is what the Bible is saying. All of us have gone astray and gone our own way. And so God laid all of our iniquity on him. We made the decision to go astray. We turned our back on the Creator. So the Creator says, okay, you want to make that decision? Well, I'm going to take all of your sins and I'm going to lay them on Him. You see how this makes no sense? Christianity, when we, when we break it down, it's not very logical. Are you with me? It doesn't make much sense for these things to be happening. And this is, this is, this is just another reason why this has to be true. Because no man's going to come up with that. Every one of us know, well, if I do something wrong, it's down to me to make sure that I'm the one that reconciles myself to that person. If, if one of you came and wronged me, or let's make it more accurate, if, if, if I came and wronged one of you, then you would expect for me to be the one that comes and, and, you know, says sorry and makes up for it and gives you gifts and invites you over so my wife can cook you some nice Brazilian food. That's what you would expect, right? But here... Here it's Christ himself, it's, it's God the Father working through him, doing everything that he can to bring us back. And so, and so this is what this verse is telling us. Since all of our iniquities have been laid upon him, God's saying this, your sins are not a good enough reason for you not to pray. Because they're not on you. If they were on you, then fair enough, you're going to have to lift a pretty heavy load in order to speak to me. But your sins are not a good enough reason to keep you from me because I've taken them and laid it upon my son. It's already been paid for. When, when we allow our sins to keep us from prayer, in essence, what we're doing is this. We're going into the store and we're seeing a nice pair of shoes. Who likes nice shoes? Only a few. Okay. So you see a nice pair of shoes. And you're like, oh, I want to buy these. And you're not being greedy because, you know, you only have one pair, right? So, so you're going to buy these shoes and, you know, you want to check whether they're within the budget. You want to get the okay from your missus and make sure that, you know, it's not too steep. And you go and buy the shoes. And then you've got the shoes, you've got them in the box and, you know, maybe you keep them in the box to, to, to look after them. And then with those shoes, when you're wearing them, they feel nice. And then you think, man, these shoes feel so good that I'm going to take them back to the shop and pay for them again. <laughs> Anyone ever done that? No? Because if you did, I'll open a store just for you. <laughs> this is what we do when we allow our sins to keep us from God. We're saying, you know what, you know what, that, that's so deep that I'm just going to let it go again and I'm going to come back and make him pay for it all over again. But he's already paid once, it's yours, you can have it. Christ has laid that door open. He's made that path clear. Anyone that wants to can come. And you know what? We haven't even said a word yet. We're just talking about our father. We haven't even started the prayer. Like as a father pities his children. How does it go? The Lord pities those that fear him. Go to John 17 with me if you would. Go to verse 23. Whilst you're going there, I'll read verse 20 so we know who Christ is speaking to. John 17 verse 20, you're going to 23. Neither pray I for these alone, so not just for his disciples or his church, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So in other words, Christ is saying that this prayer 
is for anyone that believes in me. Are you with me? That's who the audience of this prayer is. And then watch what he says in verse 23. Now I notice that some of you have got handles on your chair and I have to say this every time. If you do, then put your Bible on your lap and just hold on to the handles. Because this verse is so deep, it might just blow you off the chair. And you're going to hit someone and then we're going to have to pause the sermon. It's not going to be cool. So, so hold on to the chair. Watch when we read this verse. John 17 verse 23. It says, I in them, Christ speaking, I in them and thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one, and that the world, oh my days, are you ready? And that the world may know that thou has sent me, amen, and God has sent Christ, and has loved them as thou has loved me. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Bible says this. That God the Father sent God the Son to die for us. Why? Because God the Father loves us just as much as He loves His own Son. Man, we ought to praise the Lord. Have you ever thought, have you ever just considered for a moment? I don't know where you are in your Christian walk. I don't know if you're even a Christian. But have you ever considered that God, 1 John chapter 4 tells us He's a God of love. First John 3 or 4 tells us that God is a God of love, right? Just the embodiment of love. And He has dwelt in eternity with His Son. He's had forever to love His Son and He's received love forever. How old are you? What's the median age? Maybe 29? God has spent eternity with Christ and loves Him. As much as he could. You being but maybe 29 years old. God loves you just as much. Do you see why this doesn't make sense? You see for me. I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you. I, I have a small circle. Small circle. People that I can trust. Now. It takes a lot. For me to build meaningful friendships. Right? It takes a lot. I don't just let everyone in. Sometimes it takes years. Maybe for you as well, it takes years to, f to, to form lasting bonds. Now, if I've known someone for, let's say, 50 years, and I've known you for 23 minutes, the chances are, I don't know, I'm just it's hypothetical here, chances are I'm going to be closer to the guy that I've known for 50 years than you. How many of you would agree? Would agree? Because I like that. God's known Christ forever. He's been able to love him forever. Christ has only ever done things that would make the Father love him more. And all us like sheep have gone astray. And yet God the Father loves us as much as he loves his Son. I just don't know what to say about that. I just don't know how to, how to say that in a deeper way. God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. How far would He go for Jesus? How far would God the Father go for His Son? I've got an answer, but you have to come back in the afternoon for that message. We'll look at exactly how far God would go for His Son. But the message is simply this. That anything 
that God will do for Christ, he then has to be willing to do for us. Because what motivates God is love, and he loves us as much as he loves Christ. And we haven't said a word yet. We're just talking about our father. You remember the story of the prodigal son? He's there, you know, just hanging out with the pigs, as some of us tend to do. And then he remembers, oh, there's servants in my father's house that are treated way better than mine, than, than I am. And then so, what does he do? Anyone know? He plans a speech. Are you with me? He says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home and I'm going to say this. And I'm going to say this. And I'm probably going to win him back with this point, And then I'll make my appeal for him to let me in. And then so he's going home. I don't know how far away it is. You, you imagine it was kind of far because he wanted to be out of his father's you know, vicinity, know like, his whereabouts. And so he's coming back home. And I can imagine he's practicing this speech as he's going back. And then as he's making his way home, his father on the hilltop sees him. He's been waiting for that knock for years. And then he comes running to him and the son's getting ready for the speech. In fact, the son starts the speech and the father's like, zoop, okay, here, take this robe and put on these sandals and here's this ring. Why? Because guys, it's not about the words. It's not about what you can say to God for him to accept you. He's been standing on the hilltop just waiting for you to come back. Two more texts before we close. Luke chapter 18. You know the story of, or the parable of the woman and the unjust judge. You guys know that parable? I asked myself the first time I read this, why is Jesus using this parable? The Bible tells itself that the point of this parable is so that we pray without ceasing and so that we do not faint, right? But the way that Christ tells this parable is kind of unlike any other parable. Now, we know this to be a parable of contrast. You see, sometimes Christ compares one thing to be just like the other. This time, it's a, it's a parable of contrast to show how unlike one thing is to another. Are you with me so far? And so in this parable, we have this unjust judge who is in the story in the position of the father. Are you still with me? And then we have the widow. And who is the widow? Us. All right. And so, so this woman, this widow, she needs help from this judge. She comes to the unjust judge and she's like, listen, you know, I have, I have someone that's after me, that's persecuting me, and that keeps coming after me. I need help. And what does he say? He says, go away. Why are you troubling me? Leave me alone. I don't have time for this, for this business of yours. I, I deal with higher matters. Are you with me? She's like, oh. She goes away, but then she can't, she can't overcome her phone, so she goes back. and says, listen, you're the only one that can help me. I need your help. I need your help. Please help me. And what does he say? Go away. Go away. I deal with higher matters than yours. Go away. So she goes away. And the, the picture that's painted is that she goes away and she comes back. And she goes away and she comes back. And she goes away and she comes back. And then eventually she comes back. He says, listen, I really need your help. And he's like, okay then. All right. I'll help you. What do you need me to do? Sort this guy out. Okay, I'll sort him out. If I sort him out, will you leave me alone? Yes. Okay. And he goes and sorts out the foe. I'm thinking, what has this got to do with God? <laughs> and that's when I understood that this was a parable of contrast. And the lesson is simply this. Sometimes, sometimes, at least in my life, 
there's been times when I've seen God as unjust. Sometimes I've seen things happen and I've questioned and I've thought that's unfair. And this parable seeks to serve those that sometimes think that God may be unjust and maybe God is unfair. Because it's saying this, and don't miss this message, it's saying that even if God was unjust, and even if God was unfair, and the Bible says that He doesn't care about man, and that He doesn't care about God, this unjust judge, even if God didn't care about you, just through persistence alone, He'll answer your prayers. Even if He didn't like you. If God doesn't like you, He doesn't like your haircut, He doesn't like your suit, He doesn't like how much you give for tithe and offering, He's not happy with your 11%, He doesn't care how good you preach or how nice you sing. But just through coming over and over, He's like, okay, I'll help. Even if God was like that, we have someone that can help us out. And then the end of the parable says, but He's not. But He's not like that. So if He was like that, we still got someone to go to, but He's not like that. In fact, the Bible says that if that's what the unjust would do, then how much more will the just act? How fast or how, how speedily will the Father act on our behalf if He's not unjust? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We've got to be persistent in our prayers. Amen. Come to Him as if He was unjust and you'll see how just He is. You'll see how fast He can answer. May not be the answer that you want. Rarely is. Because we don't know what we should pray for. But he'll answer. And you know what's funny? We haven't even said a word yet. Last text. Maybe. Mark chapter 5. Go with me in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, you find that just after Mark chapter 4. Some of you are going to take a long time to turn. Mark chapter 5. And we'll go from verse 1. This is what it says. Mark chapter 5 verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, who's the he? You guys know? It's Jesus. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with a what? An unclean spirit. What would we call that today? A demon, right? It says in verse 3, And this demon had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not even with chains. Because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Not your ideal roommate, would you agree? <laughs> then it says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now let's look at this just a little bit. Who took the man into the tombs? The man or the demon? How many say the man? Okay, it's unanimous. It was the demon. The demon takes the man into the tomb. So, let's take that, let's go a step further. Who's making the man cut himself? The demon, right? Who's giving the man the supernatural ability to break out of the chains? The demon. So is it fair to say then that the demon is the one that's in control of the man? So how's the man running to Jesus? 
This man is in the tomb. He doesn't want to be in the tomb. We weren't made for tombs. And the man's bound by chains and he keeps breaking them apart. I was going to ask if any of you have ever been handcuffed, but obviously Adventists, we haven't, right? <laughs> Keep the law. But this man's bound by chains, and he just breaks out. And he's in the tomb, and he's crying day and night, just loud. The most annoying neighbor you could imagine, he's cutting himself, the blood all over the tombs. He comes out of the tomb just to scream at the city, and then runs back inside and cuts himself. The man's possessed. But he sees Jesus, and he starts running towards him. Now, here's where the story gets even stranger. Let's, let's pick up in the story. It says in verse 6, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever got in trouble before. I'm going to go out on a limb and say perhaps. Now, when I was younger, when I was any, anything between 19 and 1 years old, I had a habit for getting myself into trouble. Ironically enough, because I spoke too much. Are we still good for time? All right. Spoke too much. And so I was, conti I was continuously getting myself in trouble. And, and I, I think maybe I, there was something wrong with me because I was never getting myself into trouble with the smaller people. It was always guys that I knew if we were ever in the same room and we were alone, game over. Goodbye, Dean Cullinan. And I would just run my mouth, as we would say back home. I would just keep saying foolish things and all these terrible things would come out of my mouth just to make fun of someone. And now here's the thing, if I'd done that in a social setting and that person was restricted from coming to attack me, if I ever see that person alone, right, I'm, I'm walking down the street and then there he is and he sees me and I see him and I see him seeing me, <laughs> guess which direction I'm not going? I'm not going there. He, he would have saw me, but now I'm gone. I went the other way already. By the time his brain was telling him, that's the guy, I'm gone already. <laughs> because if I know that there's a guy over there that has the power to just take me out and wants to just take me out, I'm not going over there. But this man is being controlled by a demon. And this demon is controlling the man physically. And this demon's taking him into the caves. This demon's cutting him. This demon's making him scream. But when he sees Jesus, he's running to Jesus. Which tells me this, that the demon's no longer in control at that moment. But when, the, when he gets there, when he gets to Jesus, right? So imagine this, he's, he's got demons in him. And, and the Bible says that the demon answers Christ and says, you know, for my name is Legion, for we are many. And some people say that's something like between 3,000 and 6,000 soldiers is what constitutes a legion. So this man, let's just say, is possessed by 6,000 demons. Right? And this man comes to, if there's one thing that the man, not the demon, if there's one thing that the man wants, he wants someone that can get rid of the demons. Would you agree? 
And so he sees the one person that can get rid of the demon. But the demon's controlling him physically. But when he sees that man, he runs to him because that's the man that can help. But when he finally gets to him, after so long of waiting for him, the words that he says are not what he wants to say. Guys, it's not about the words. Because he's been waiting to be at the feet of this man for years. And when he's finally there, the things that he's saying is not what he needs to say. He doesn't get to ask for what he needs. But God answers the prayer anyway. God answers the prayer anyway. He doesn't even get to pray it. The words don't come out of his mouth. He can't ask for freedom. He can't ask for these demons to be you know, kicked out of his body. But just being at the feet of Jesus, not even having said a word yet, Jesus is just like, be gone. Don't tell me you haven't been there. Don't tell me that there hasn't been times when you've got to your knees and you didn't know what to say, but God answered that prayer anyways. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 as we close. Verse 26 and 27. You'll know the verse. Romans 8, 26 and 27. When you're there, say amen. It says, likewise. <laughs> likewise. The Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And He searcheth the hearts and He knows the mind of the Spirit because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What this verse is saying is this. You've got on your knees. You've closed your eyes and you've clasped your hands and you've laid prostrate on the floor and you've cried countless tears. And words have come out. You've asked for things. You've prayed for things. But those words went as far as the ceiling. And the spirit which was there, spirit of prophecy tells us that when we pray earnestly that Christ is leaning over us. The spirit that was there takes what we need to pray and takes that to the kingdom. See, there's been times, I know you've been there. I know you've been there. There's been times when you've been like, Lord, I need a new car. This one isn't cutting it anymore. Engine's given up. It bumps me the whole way down the road. And you pray, Lord, please provide. And the Lord hears that prayer. The Spirit takes that prayer and goes to God the Father. And He might say this. Father God, Dean is asking, that you help him be content with his car. Because we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. We're saying, Lord, I'm 27 years old. I need a wife. I need a husband. And so the Spirit goes to the Father. And the Spirit says, Father, one of the angels would like permission for you to drop a pamphlet about being content in your singleness through that person's door box. Because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, the Spirit searches our hearts. He knows what we need. And maybe what we need doesn't correlate with what we want. The Lord will answer what we need.
And you know, more times than not, he answers what we want as well. I don't know how long it's been since you've prayed. And I don't mean, you know, just haphazardly, oh, thank you, Lord, for this food, amen. You know those Ferrari prayers? Amen. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about, I don't know the last time that you got on your knees and poured out your heart to God. But you know, every time the Spirit impresses me to do that, sometimes I'm tempted to think, well, what would I say? Man, I've fallen into this sin again, and again, and again. And last time when I prayed, man, that was a holy prayer. You know, I prayed exactly what the Bible told me to pray. I was claiming the promises of 1 John 1, 9. And you know, He'll cleanse me from all sin. I'm praying, but, but now I've done it again. I've broken my word. I've broken my promise. What do I say this time? If there's one thing I want you to get from this message, it's God isn't waiting for what you have to say. He's just waiting for you. And let me tell you the good news. When you do come, and when you do fall at his knees, the words come. He's not waiting for the words. The Spirit's already told him exactly what happened. The words aren't for God. The words are for you. The words are for me. He's already in the process of answering. Before we've spoken, He has heard us. It's not about what you say. It's about who you're praying to. It's about our Father. I'll leave you with these two quotes. Every sincere prayer is heard in heaven. Man, you ought to say Amen. Every sincere prayer is heard in heaven. Now listen to this. It may not be fluently expressed, but if the heart is in it, it will ascend to the sanctuary where Jesus ministers and He will present it to the Father without one awkward stammering word, beautiful and fragrant with the incense of His own perfection. That's why it's not about the words. Jesus has the words. Prayer is heaven's ordained means of success in the conflict with sin and the development of the Christian character. The divine influences that come in answer to the prayer of faith will accomplish in the soul of the suppliant all for which he pleads. For the pardon of sin. How many of you want the pardon of sin? For the pardon of sin. For the Holy Spirit. For a Christ-like temper, Lord help us. For wisdom and strength to do His work. For any gift that He has promised, we may ask. And the promise is, ye shall receive. Ye shall receive. Take your prayers to your Father today. And don't worry about the words. Bring Him your heart. And you shall receive. Let's pray. Father in heaven.
As we've said, the words, the words that we have to say, they're not important. What we need to recognize is who you are and what you're like. How much you love us. Lord, that you love us as much as you love Christ. Wow. Wow. I can only imagine what our lives would be like if we lived like that. If we lived every day remembering that you love us as much as you love your son. Give us those lives, Lord. And Father, I pray for myself and for those that stand before me. There's decisions that we need to make in our heart. Some of us have been away for a long time. Some of us haven't really spoken to you. Haven't really opened our hearts completely to you. Haven't let you deep into the treasure chest that we've buried within. For too long. And so Lord, I want to ask. If there's anyone here this morning. That is in that situation. That has been away from you for. For however long it is for them, however too long is, however long that is. That Father, you'll send your spirit even now, as I know you have been, to oppress, impress upon their hearts that you miss them. And that you're just waiting them, you're just waiting for them to come back. You're just waiting for them to make that choice to come and to fall at the cross of Calvary, to look up and see a risen Savior who's died for our sins. If there's anyone here, Lord, that hasn't made that decision as of yet, strengthen their will to make that decision now. Lord, I claim the promise that your prophet gave to us when she said that all that you ask of us, you equip us to do. And that when the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it is omnipotent. Father, I claim the promise that all the power of heaven is available to us now to make the decision to come back to you. And when we come, take our hearts. In Jesus name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.